podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 1st of March. Spring is here, and it's cold, but spring is here. Uh, we're brought to you by EPLindex.com, in association with presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or BBC iPlayer, ITV Hub, whatever it is you want to get to while also keeping your data safe. Check out libertyshield.com and use the code ROUTER50 to get your router half price. That's ROUTER50 to get 50% off your router with libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops for all your football merchandising needs, they are available on Etsy. Just search EPL Index or Anfield Index and then use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, a busy day. We have one Premier League match. We have three FA Cup matches. And it's all very exciting. It's all very, very exciting. But before we get into that, I want to look at the winners and losers from the weekend's Premier League games. So did this last week, going to do it again this week. Hoping you like it. If you don't, well, soz. Uh, big winner. Big, big winner. First up is West Ham United. Manchester United failing to beat Watford and West Ham beating Wolves, who were a rival in that run for top four. That's a huge result. And the Hammers had been struggling a little bit of late. Their form hadn't been what you would have expected, considering how good they've been for the last 18 months or so. You know, losing to Leeds, losing to Manchester United, a poor performance against Kidderminster in the Cup. They did win, but they needed injury time goal to get to extra time. And then an injury time goal in extra time to avoid penalties. They beat Watford. They should beat Watford. They drew 2-2 with a depleted Leicester team. And then that 1-1 draw at home to Newcastle is a disappointing result. So it had been a bit of a dip for them. Off the back of four straight wins where they beat Watford, Palace, Leeds in the Cup, and then Norwich, to go through that little mini run of bad performances and bad results was disappointing. But they've bounced back with a good win over Wolves and that is the reason they are my first winner of the week second winner of the week is Southampton they have taken advantage of a dip by Brighton and their own kick on in form that's three wins out of five for the Saints as well as a draw with Manchester City and a draw with Southampton they also beat Coventry in the cup in that run so since losing to Wolves on the 15th of January They've gone draw with City, beat Coventry, beat Spurs away, drew away to United, 
beat Everton, beat Norwich in the Cup. Oh, sorry, beat Norwich in the league. And now tonight they'll face, or tomorrow night, sorry, they'll face uh, West Ham in the Cup. But they're a team in form. Their good run, combined with Brighton's disappointing form of late, has meant that Saints have climbed above them into ninth place. And that's a really, really good outcome for them if they can get a top-half finish. Because we've seen with Southampton over the last few years an inability to string results together, an inability to have consistency and stability. You know, you look back to the 18-19 season, Mark Hughes is there. Mark Hughes, by the way, new manager of Bradford City in one of the more bizarre appointments of the year. But under Mark Hughes, they're going down. There's no way around that. They're going down under Mark Hughes. They're 18th in the league. They just have no confidence, no self-belief at all. Ranić takes over. Takes them a little while. But eventually, they claw their way out of the bottom half, of the of the bottom three rather, and stay up. You go into the nineteen twenty season, and you're expecting that they'll kick on. Instead, they have an appalling first six months of the season, or first four months of the season, as it is. Absolutely shocking. Highlighted, of course, by that nine nil home defeat by Leicester. But again. They're very much a bottom three team across the first half of the season. And then they turn it round. And at the end of that season, and they had a good run around Christmas, and they had a good run at the end of the season. And they end up in 11th. And you're trying to figure out which team are they? Are they the team we saw in the first half of the season or the second half of the season? Because they're two completely different units. And you go into last season, you're like, right, we'll figure it out this season. This season, we'll know. So they start the season really well. They get as high as third one weekend. And then it all starts to fall apart. They lose six in a row. And they struggle across the back end of the season. And they end up finishing 15th. So again, you don't really know which team they are. You look at this season's form and... They had a bit of a slow start. They didn't win any of their first seven, but they got four draws in that time, and they were 17th. But since then, it's been gradual improvement. They'd won five-game stretch without a win, but they've been able to consistently get wins. And they're winning games that you expect them to win as well, and then picking up points along the margins, and that's really impressive. You know, They beat West Ham. That's a really good victory. They beat Villa, who... You know, it's been an iffy season, but that's still a good win. They beat Spurs. They get those points against both Manchester teams. They got a point in the other game against Spurs. They've been hard to beat. They've been quite good this year. And this is a nice change. Like, they've played both Manchester clubs twice and drawn with them both times. That's four draws against the Manc clubs. That's four points they probably weren't expecting to get. That's really impressive from Saints. And for them to be ninth is just what they deserve. And it's not just the players and the manager. It's the entire club. Because some clubs would have panicked at the first 9-0 defeat. 
and sacked Hasenhutl. And if they hadn't panicked then, they'd have panicked the next season when they lost 9-0 again. But Southampton have not done that. Southampton have kept the faith with Ralph Hasenhutl. And they're getting the rewards. And they deserve to be top half based on how they've played this season. And my third winner is Newcastle. Big win over Brentford. Admittedly massively helped by the red card. I think given how the game had started, it was looking like Newcastle were going to get on top anyway. But it's a big, big win for them to get that result, get themselves to 14th in the table, put a bit of daylight between themselves and the bottom three. Now, admittedly, Burnley have a game in hand, but that's a four-point gap. They're above Brentford with less games played, above Leeds with less games played. They're three points clear of Everton. The Everton have a game in hand, but Everton don't look like winning a game at the minute. So that's a big, big result for Newcastle. Losers from the weekend, Manchester United would have to be the first one. Failing to beat Watford at home is inexcusable. Especially when Watford didn't even play well. But you've missed an opportunity to put daylight between yourselves and the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham. Especially Arsenal, who now have three games in hand on you and are only two points behind. And while I don't trust this Arsenal team at all, I do trust them to pick up two points from three games. Now, United have a pretty poor goal difference for what's currently a top four team, only plus 10. Arsenal are plus 11 because United can't defend. They've conceded 34 goals this season. That's twice as many as they have in the same amount of games. So when I look at that, I have to put Manchester United down as one of the weekend's losers. I think Brighton have to go into this mix as well. This is three defeats in a row and a lot of good progress made this season starting to be squandered. You look at Villa with a game in hand and a slightly better goal difference. Win that game in hand, Villa are ahead of them. You look at Leicester, they're six points behind, but they've got three games in hand. And all of a sudden you're looking at Newcastle and thinking, well, you've got a game in hand, you're only eight points behind. If form holds, you may well catch Brighton. So for all the good Brighton have done this season, that top half finish is not looking like a likelihood at the minute. And it largely boils down to their inability to score goals. Defensively, they've fallen off in recent weeks, but they've had a lot of injuries. But they just have never been able to score enough goals. Only 25 goals scored this season. Only Wolves have scored less in the top half. But now Wolves are within one of you. And their defensive record is substantially better than you. Wolves have dropped now to having the fourth best defence in the league. Having at times had the second or third best for the first 24-25 games. But Brighton, that's a, that's a, bad, a bad, bad result for them. A game they should have won as well against a Villa team who were not in form. And it looked very, very shaky. And I think Everton have to be the third one. Again, they're in it two weeks in a row. They're unfortunate this weekend. 
because they gave City everything City could cope with. Not so much in terms of peppering the City goal or really working Ederson, but in terms of that midfield battle, in terms of making it very, very hard for City to break them down, Everton put forward a really strong performance. And unfortunately, it was all for nothing. Now, in news today, they've received a personal apology from Mike Riley, head of the PGMOL, for the decision not to grant the penalty for Rodri's handball. But the question I would ask now is, what's going to happen to those officials? Are they going to be demoted? Will they be suspended for a week or two? Or will they carry on as normal? Because if it's just an apology, then that's empty. That means nothing. Nothing can get the point back that Everton could have gotten that game, which, by the way, also affects the top of the table because if City had only got one point rather than three, it would make the title race look quite different as well. But Everton, with a defeat, it means that they're only a point ahead of Burnley. Same amount of games played. Worst goal difference. And Burnley have an easier run from here to the end of the season. And Burnley play Everton at Turf Moor. So they're my three winners and losers from the weekend. Obviously, Liverpool, you'd throw in as a winner as well, having you know won the Carabao Cup. But from the Premier League point... That's where I've got I've got them for this weekend. Uh, looking at tonight, then, we do have Burnley versus Leicester in the Premier League. This is obviously a big game for Burnley. They need a result. Given current form, where Burnley have taken eight points from the last 15, only one defeat in the last five, whereas Leicester only have two points from the last 15 available and three defeats in the last five, you would factor that Burnley should probably be seen as favourites. Now, a Burnley win tonight will not just see them climb above Everton. They would go above Leeds and Brentford on goal difference, while having a substantially better goal difference than both Leeds and Brentford, and having games in hand on Leeds and Brentford. They would have two games in hand on Brentford, one in hand on Leeds, They'd have played one more than Everton and be two points clear of them with that better goal difference. And that could be season-defining for them. If Burnley get out of the bottom three, I don't expect them to go back into it. I think once they get something to hang on to, they'll be able to cling on to it and scrape their way to uh, survival. I expect them to stay up anyway. I think they've got enough favourable games that will allow them to stay up. They play Everton at home. They've got Brentford. They've got Norwich. They've got Watford. And they've got Newcastle. And by that last day, I think Newcastle will be safe. So even if Burnley need three points, I think they'll be able to go and get it. Burnley's running is just easier than Everton's. Now, Leeds and Brentford look like teams that could also go down. And with Leeds having made a managerial change... They'll be hoping for that new manager bounce. And if Calvin Phillips comes back for the next game, maybe they get it. 
But if not, and it starts out badly, we've seen how quickly these things can go. Leeds have lost four in a row. If things go badly for Jesse Marsh, maybe that becomes seven, eight in a row, and all of a sudden they're staring down the barrel of relegation. This should be a good game tonight, though. Burnley will go into it with no Vidra, no Peters, and no Goodmanson. But Taylor's back, Cornet is back, and all the rest are fit. So they'll be they'll be strong. There's nobody there missing Vidra, Peters, and Goodmanson who would be starting. Goodmanson's probably got the best shout for it, but the others wouldn't. Whereas with Leicester, Castanier is out, Evans is out, Justin is out, Fofana is out, and Bertrand is out. All in defence. They are very much bare bones. So again, we're probably looking at Pereira at right back, a Marty and Sionchu at centre back, and the young kid whose name escapes me. I can't think of his name. The young kid who's been playing left back. What's his name? That is bothersome. Leicester City. Your young left back is called Luke Thomas. Apologies to Mr. Thomas. But yes, Luke Thomas at left back. Now, it means they'll be full strength in midfield and attack. And their midfield and attack on paper are very good. But Vardy's just coming back from injury. Dak is in a bit of a dip. Iheanacho hasn't been playing well. Luckman's been playing pretty well. And, and Harvey Barnes has been playing pretty well. But they're not the big-time goal scorers that you'd be looking for in that group. Um... Helaman's hasn't had a good season. Madison has looked a lot better recently. Indeed, he's had a bit of a wobbly season, but part of that is Rogers moving him back into centre back at spells and just basically being Rogers. Uh, but that should be a good game tonight. That one kicks off at seven forty-five at Turf Moor in the FA Cup. We have three games. Manchester City will take on Peterborough. That is a 7.15 kickoff, which one of the fun things about the FA Cup is random kickoff times. So Peterborough to get here, beat Bristol Rovers 2-1, and then beat Queen's Park Rangers 2-0. Both at home. They've been drawn at home again, so it's a trip to London Road for Manchester City. Uh thought there was some... Some interesting, I suppose, interesting comments. Barry Fry, who people will probably remember as running Peterborough for many, many years and being the ultimate wheeler dealer who would, you know, sign an entirely new team in a January transfer window if given the chance. Uh, he, he said that Peterborough's best chance of winning is to have a prey and hope that City send their under 23s with respect. I think they're under 23s, still beat Peterborough. But they beat Swindon Town and Fulham, both by four goals to one, to get this far. City will obviously be heavily, heavily favoured in this game. Uh, we also get Crystal Palace versus Stoke. This one should be pretty good. Palace going fairly well. They're 11th in the Premier League. They have, as we've talked about, they've turned the corner on the era of Gammon and Gravy, and are a far more exciting team to watch now. Um, 
they will play, or they've played Millwall and Hartlepool to get here, beat Millwall 2-1 at the New Den and beat Hartlepool 2-0 at Selhurst Park. Stoke, who, you know, also dined at the Gammon and Gravy table for many years, they are much improved in terms of their style and play, style of play under Michael O'Neill. Much, much improved. Uh, now, they do currently sit 15th in the championship, so fair to say that the improved style of play has not led to improved results for Stoke. Though they did have, you know, a first a good first 18 games, and it's all gotten a little bit weird since. But in the FA Cup, they beat Leighton Orient 2-0 and then beat Wigan 2-0. Um... I'm not sure what to make of those results. I do like some of their players, I have to say. I like Josh Madja. Obviously, Joe Allen is there. Sam Klukas is there. Stephen Fletcher still knocking about, still scoring the odd goal. Tyrese Campbell's an interesting player. Jacob Brown's a very interesting player. He's got nine goals in total this season. Nick Powell, who, when he was at Wigan, people thought, oh no, he was a crew. People thought he was going to be the next big thing. Moved to Manchester United at 18, and it never really worked out. Had that really good loan spell at Wigan, but it's a shame that his career has become... You know, he's a good championship player. He just didn't quite reach the, the Premier League level that was expected him when he was a star for the England under-17s and in the in the crude first team when he broke through at 16-17. And obviously, the other one to keep an eye on is DiMaggio Wright-Phillips, just because he's third generation of the Wright family. So that's that one. That's a 7.30 kickoff. And then we have Middlesbrough versus Tottenham Hotspur. Obviously, Borough under new manager Chris Wilder have turned the season around quite a bit. Things were not going well under Neil Warnock because things rarely go well under Neil Warnock. But having been a largely bottom half team, under Warnock, they have bounced back and they're just on the verge of the playoffs. Uh, they're currently sitting in eighth. They have been as high as fifth under uh, Chris Wilder, who's always good value. Always good value. Uh, to get this far, they beat Mansfield Town 3-2 and then they beat Manchester United away on penalties. This will be their first home game of the competition. Uh, Isaiah... Jones is probably the one to watch from this team. Really exciting wing back. He's a winger who got converted, but he's a very exciting player. Marcus Tavanier, who's a good player. His brother's the Rangers captain. Uh, he's another one worth keeping an eye on. Uh, in terms of goals, I'll leave that to others to tell you who the players to watch are. There's not a lot of big-time goal scorers in this uh, Middlesbrough team. But it should be a good game. Tottenham, form is inconsistent. You'd imagine the focus is on the league, though given how the league form has been, maybe they'd be better off focusing in on trying to win the cup. Back-to-back victories have escaped Spurs for a while now. You look at their league form, they won three in a row, end of November, start of December. Draw, win, draw, win. Technically, they won back-to-back against Watford and Leicester, but there was 
three weeks between them because of cancellations with COVID. Then the three defeats in a row. Then they beat Man City. Then they lost to Burnley. And then, obviously, the win over Leeds at the weekend. In the FA Cup, they beat Morecambe 3-1. They beat Brighton 3-1. Maybe Conte takes this seriously. Maybe he targets this as silverware. Silverware is something Tottenham could greatly do with because it's been a while. It's been a long old while since Tottenham won anything. They haven't won the FA Cup since 1991. They haven't won anything at all since 2008. And you can be fairly certain that all of their rivals, in particular their rivals in North London, remind them of this on a regular basis. But yeah, those are the FA Cup games tonight. They should be fun. Peterborough City probably won't be all that competitive unless City do send, you know, a heavily rotated team. Uh, but Palace Stoke could be decent. And I think Borough Tottenham will be good because it's at Borough. They'll be on a high after beating United. They'll fancy getting Tottenham up there. And probably it's probably like, I don't know, minus 14 that far north, you know. You've basically got the wall, the free folk land, and then Middlesbrough. Guy is trying to tell me that's really nice today. It might be bright and sunny. It's probably still in the minuses. I, I refuse to accept that it ever even hit, hit zero. Eight degrees. Eight, he's probably lying to me, but because I, I refuse to accept that it even hits zero in up in the, the, the regions of the north. Um, anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, there's lots of news. And then we will have the gossip and be done for today. I'll see you in a few minutes. Right, welcome back. So, we have lots of news to get through. FIFA and UEFA have suspended all Russian clubs and national teams. So, Spartak Moscow have been kicked out of the Europa League. And RB Leipzig will advance to the quarterfinals. UEFA have ended their sponsorship with Russian energy giant Gazprom. That comes off the back as well of Schalke doing similar. Uh, we have the Russians men's, men's national team. Who initially it looked like they were going to be allowed to play under the name Football Union of Russia. But with no flag, no anthem and games on neutral territory. But lots of countries refuse to play Russia, and Russia have now been removed. So Russia will not be playing at the next World Cup. They were scheduled to face Poland in a World Cup, World Cup playoff semi-final on the 24th of March, and that game will now not take place. The winner of that will play Czech Republic or Sweden. Both of them like Poland, had refused. But now England, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales have all come out and said they will not play Russia at any time. This is very difficult for the Russian players who have nothing to do with this, but this is the right decision. Uh, Russia have also been removed from the European Under-21 Championship qualifying group that they were in along with Northern Ireland. So it's very, very harsh on the players, obviously, but it's the right decision. Uh, following on from that, Shakhtar Donetsk have evacuated their Brazilian players to Romania 
I'd imagine it's not just the Brazilians. I'd imagine it's all overseas players. Maybe they don't have anyone else other than Brazilians from overseas. Let's have a quick gander. Shakhtar obviously haven't been able to play in Donetsk for eight years now. I think it's eight years they haven't been able to play there since the war in Donbass began, which is... They built that incredible new stadium. It was one of the best new stadiums in Europe, and they haven't been able to play in it, play in it in eight years. And that stadium has been damaged by the war that's gone on. So, you know, uh, let me see, let me see. Current squad. They have uh, an Israeli, Manor Solomon. I forgot he was there. Lasana Traore is there. And then they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Brazilians. Eleven Brazilians at the club. That is fantastic. Um, it is crazy that Shakhtar Donetsk has really become a pathway to Europe for Brazilian players. Some quality ones there as well. Dodo, Tete, Marcus Antonio, David Neres only moved there. In January, uh, Pedrinho's a very exciting attacking midfielder as well. Yeah, just unfortunate. But all those players have been evacuated and are now safe in Romania. So credit to the club for getting them out of town. Also linked to Russia, Everton's owner, or one of their owners, Alisher Uzmanov, former owner of... Arsenal. I don't know if he's got an official stake in Everton, but he sponsors their training ground. And he's definitely one of the people behind Mashiri in terms of cash. Uh, he has had his assets frozen by the European Union. And it can only be a matter of time. It can only be a matter of time before Roman Abramovich's assets are also frozen. The EU Council said Alisher Uzmanov is a pro-Kremlin pro oligarch with particularly close ties to Russian President Vladimir Putin. And while, you know, the likes of Kave or whatever his name is, that moron on Sky who, you know, you know the guy, the guy that sits there scrolling through Twitter, pretending he's got sources, pretending he's getting text messages from agents and stuff, uh, spoofing for a living. He has obviously been sent one of the little brown envelopes from Chelsea and he's come out and said that Abramovich has no ties to Putin. Well, aside from being appointed governor of an oblast, aside from multiple pictures standing alongside him over the last 15 years, aside from him involving himself in this brokering piece or whatever it is he's meant to be doing, uh, he has no contacts at all apparently. But yeah, it can only be a matter of time for Abramovich to get put on this list. He's been name-checked twice in the UK Parliament. That's not a good sign. Uh, Rigobert Song, former Liverpool legend, has been named as the new coach of the Cameroon national team on the orders of the country's president. Uh, Cameroon finished third in January's African Cup of Nations. And Tony Conceição has left his post. And Rigobert Song will take over. 
I haven't thought about Rigobert's song in about five years. Best known for having silly hair and eating grass, or the excuse was he ate some grass. Um, let's see, Rigobert's song. He's been manager of the Cam- Cameroon under-23s, apparently, for the last four years. I was not aware of that. But there we are. He is the new manager of the Cameroon national team. And Conceição was sacked despite finishing third, which is a fair effort. Uh, Manchester City received their apology over... Or sorry, Everton received their apology over the Manchester City handball. Uh, Brazilian great Pele has been discharged from a Sao Paulo hotel, uh, hotel hospital where he was being treatment treated for a tumour and a urinary tract infection. Uh, he has a colon tumour, which doesn't sound great at all. Pele is 81. 81 years of age. What a player. Arsenal have released their financial records for the 2021 season. And they suffered a loss of £107.3 million. That is staggering. That is a post-tax loss. That follows on from losses of less than £50 but still substantial the previous year. Arsenal say that £85 of their losses are attributed to the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. They played just two games in front of a crowd at the Emirates during the 2021 season. As a result, match day revenue fell by 75% to 38, sorry, to 3.8 million. No, that's wrong. They fell, they fell from 75 million to 3.8 million. Uh, overall wage costs came in at 244 million, a near 10 million increase from 2020, despite Arsenal's first team players and head coach Mikel Arteta having agreed to a voluntary pay cut of 12.5 million. Now, the thing is, it wasn't a voluntary pay cut because they agreed to it. They were asked to take it. That's not voluntary. They, di- they didn't go and say, we'll take less money. The club asked them. That's not voluntary. Uh, this is the club that also laid off 55 people. Um, they've announced a 4% rise in ticket prices for next season to deal with rising costs. All is not all as bright and sparkly as it seems at Everton. Would have to be the case. All is not as glowing as they would have made out. Right, let's do the gossip and then we are done for today. Manchester United are not prepared to pay £100 million to sign Victor Osimian from Napoli. Nor should they. Victor Osimian is, is really, really good. Like, he is special. And he may go on to be one of the best strikers in world football. He's having himself a good season. But the problem is, Napoli bought him for 70 million euro, rising to 80 million euro. That was a substantially large overpay for him at that time. At that point, he was probably a 40 million pound player. He was coming off one good season at Lille, where he scored 13 and 27 in the league, 18 and 38 in all competitions. That's not tearing the league up. That's just a good season. 
The year before, he'd been on loan in the Belgian League and scored 12 and 25. Last season, he got 10 in 24 with Napoli. This season, it's 7 and 16. He's not a massive goal scorer. He does threaten to explode and score 35 goals in a season, but it hasn't happened as yet. But his performances, the back half of last season and this season, are starting to get him to the level where you could justify what Napoli paid from two years ago. But nothing above that. And £100 million is a lot more than €70 million. That would be a massive overpay. And I really like the player, but no, you couldn't justify that type of fee. Not when you've got so many other needs like United do. Uh, Manchester United have also shown interest in Sporting Lisbon's Portuguese midfielder, Joe Palhinha. He would make a lot of sense. Defensive midfielder, which is something they've been badly lacking since Nemanja Matic went over the hill and down again. He is 26. He'll turn 27 in the summer. So he is heading into his prime years are already there. He was massive last season for Sporting in their title win. He's been pretty good this season. He's obviously started to make a name for himself with the Portuguese national team as well. But it is worth remembering he was 25 before he got called up for the first time. So a bit of a late bloomer. We'll see what that means as time goes on. But, you know, he might just be one of those players that has a couple of good years and then kind of falls back to a more average level. Uh, Newcastle are monitoring Kepa Ariza Balaga with a view to making a move for the 27-year-old Spaniard. You've got all the money in the world. Don't do that. David Beckham's MLS franchise into Miami will do everything they can to sign Lionel Messi. Yeah, including break rules, probably, because they've done it before. Real Madrid are keen to finalise a deal to sign Kylian Mbappe before they pursue other transfer targets or offer contract extensions to current players. It'll be Mbappe, then Haaland, and then they'll see what's left for everybody else. Arsenal target Jonathan David is determined to leave Lille this summer, handing the Gunners the perfect incentive to strike a deal at the end of the season. I think he'd be ideal for Arsenal. But I did see figures of in and around 45 to 50 million. I think that will be high for Jonathan David based on what he's done so far. But projecting out, he's definitely that calibre of player. England winger Bakayo Saka is really happy at Arsenal despite reports suggesting that the 28-year-old has put his contract talks on hold. Uh, this is from the spoofer who has absolutely no insight at Arsenal, so wouldn't pay him any heed. Uh, but Saka is probably fine. He's probably happy out. Newcastle, uh, sorry, Nottingham Forest have open contract talks with English midfielder Ryan Yates, as they also battle to keep Brennan Johnson, who has been linked to Tottenham. Brennan Johnson is probably going this summer. Because he's 20 years of age. He's absolutely lighting up the championship this season. He has 10 goals in 33 games already. 11 and 35 in all competitions. And he is just in spectacular form right now. He can play wide. can play through the middle. He's a really, really special player. And if Wilf Zaha leaves Crystal Palace, this is who they should go for. Go Elise, Eze and Johnson behind the striker. That will be a whole lot of fun. 
LA Galaxy are interested in signing Sergio Ramos, who has struggled to make an impact at PSG because of fitness issues. He's also been garbage when he played, so it's not just fitness issues. Ajax want to appoint Barcelona's sporting director, Jordi Cruyff, oh dear Lord, as the new director of football after Mark Overmars' departure. Uh, I get that his surname is Cruyff, but that is where the connection to his dad ends. He is not in any way shape or form a sporting director or a director of football uh he is a man who advises bad things barcelona have completed the free signing of frank kessie according to sport um go ahead and i'll call nonsense on that they're definitely in the mix for him but that deal's not done or anywhere close to done barca can't sign anybody to pre-contracts because of their wage situation crystal palace have made an inquiry about danny Ceballos. i doubt it Juventus are leading the race to sign Nicolo Zaniolo, who's stalling a new contract at Roma. He's a special talent, but you'd be really worried about signing a fella who's had the injury problems that he's had. Like, he's 22 years of age. He'll be 23 in the summer. And you look at his injury track record. Torn ACL in 1920. Torn ACL in 2021. He's had calf problems, muscle fatigue, more muscle fatigue, a knee injury, more calf problems, more muscular problems. It's just, it's a lot. It really is a lot. So I don't know that you'd be rushing to spend a ton of money on Zaniolo, talented and all as he is. When's he had a contract? I suppose that's, that would be 2024, two years left. Roma are still looking for a big price. Juventus are hopeful of keeping Alvaro Morata. Why would you want to? Manchester City's record signing Jack Grealish should ignore, should ignore public opinion when he returns to action from injury, says Pep Guardiola. Uh, he has returned from injury and you left him on the bench when you needed players to come on and try and lock the Everton attack, or the defence rather, you brought on Riyad Mahrez and Gabriel Jesus and left him sitting on the bench. He then launched into people judging things too much on stats. The only people still defending Jack Grealish and not calling him the flop of the season are stat guys. Guys that think that passes and dribbles into the box and that shots assisted define a, fl- a player's form they're trying to make out he's been great when he hasn't he's been terrible for manchester city um so yeah you should ignore public opinion anyway but that doesn't disguise the fact that he's been dreadful this season and that you don't trust him in a moment where you need to score a goal to win a game chelsea have the most profitable football academy in the premier league According to a new study that shows the club generated 175 million from player sales in recent seasons. Now, it's from the CIES Football Observatory, who are generally a bunch of idiots. But yeah, I mean, it does make sense. You look at the players they've sold Mark Wehi, Tamore, Tammy Abraham, Livermento, etc., etc., etc. And it is really impressive. That academy, that academy is incredible. And I would highly recommend uh, that everybody read the book 
the Dream Factory by Ryan Baldi, who takes an in-depth look at the world of football academies. This is a phenomenally good book. Ryan's first book, The Next Big Thing, was brilliant. This is even better, and I highly recommend it to absolutely everybody. So do check that one out. Um, last but not least, I only saw this because I got tagged in it, and I want to credit who tagged me in it because it's funny. Um, Kerry Daniels tagged me in this. Saw this and thought of you. It's Mark Goldbridge with Paul Ince. Paul Ince is, of course, the interim manager of Reading. Goldbridge said, you'll have to turn Reading into a fortress. Is it still called the Medeski Stadium? Ince looked absolutely baffled. Had no idea. And then said, yeah, I think so. It is called the Select Car Leasing Stadium. You've been going there now for weeks. His, his, his argument was, well, there's a hotel there called the Medeski Stadium. No, there isn't. It's called the Voco Reading Hotel. So no, the hotel is not called the Medeski Stadium. It is called the Select Car Leasing Stadium. And it says that not only on a big sign outside... It says it across one entire stand worth of seats. This is the manager of Reading, not knowing what the Reading Stadium is currently called. I don't want to hear that, oh, it's actually called the Medeski, but for... No, it's not called the Medeski. Nobody calls the Medeski anymore. It's called the Select Car Leasing Stadium, and I will hear nothing else on that. And the hotel definitely isn't called the Medeski Hotel. So he's just wrong, because he's Paul Ince, and he's generally wrong about absolutely everything. And that's me for today, folks. I'll see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.